Hey, this is Ken at Capital Advantage Tutoring. It's my job to get you through all the exams. Now, I'm going to talk about what an investment advisor is. So if you're not taking a test, just listen for the first two, three minutes. I'll explain that. Then you can head on your way, do your own thing. Okay. So let's get into what an investment advisor is, and then you can move on. But if you are taking the Series 63, the Series 65 exam, or the Series 66 exam, you should stay to the end. Okay, so what's an investment advisor? Investment advisor is a firm. It's a firm that gives advice, manages money, does wealth management, financial plans, stuff like that. They don't execute. They literally just kind of give you advice. They manage your money. They can actually take your orders and send it to a broker-dealer to be executed, but they don't execute unless they're also a broker-dealer. So again, an investment advisor is a firm. It is not an individual. It is a firm that manages your money, gives you advice, all that stuff for a fee. They charge you They charge you wrap fees. They charge you an annual fee. They can even charge you by the hour, stuff like that. But it is absolutely a firm. Do not get confused if you work with your financial advisor. So like if you have an account and you have a financial advisor, that's not the same, okay? That's just an individual. That's a, it's a name. It's just a made-up thing. You're a financial advisor because I have brokers who say they're financial advisors, but they're not. They're just brokers, okay? So financial advisor is not really a legal term. Investment advisor is. Investment advisor is a legal term for a firm, an entity, okay? An investment advisor representative is the individual who works for them. So your financial advisor, the one you talk to and call and he gives you the bad ideas, that's actually an investment advisor representative, not a financial advisor. This word financial advisor sounds cooler. Well, in a way, it sounds a little bit cooler. When you go to an investment advisor, this is like, you know, um, Fisher Investments, Betterman, Morgan's, now all the big firms like the Morgan Stanley's, UBS, Merrill Lynch, they all have investment advisory arms. JP Morgan, they all have wealth management or investment advisory arms of their company. Those are individual companies like Merrill Lynch Advice or Mer Merrill Lynch Wealth Advisors or something like that. That's the investment advisory arm of their bigger firm. So how can they charge you? Usually they'll charge you like 1% of your assets. So if you bring in a million dollars, they'll charge you 10 grand a year to manage it. But that covers, usually a lot of times that'll cover all your fees. They don't have to do that. They can actually do performance-based fees where they charge they charge you an asset-based fee, like a percentage of your assets. And then they also charge you like a little percentage of what you earn, like rewarding them for doing a good job, things like that. The reason people like investment advisors more than broker-dealers hmm, is because you're on the same side, right? So a broker-dealer is like a car salesman, right? A broker-dealer is a firm that executes transactions and you pay a commission. That's your broker. That's a Wolf of Wall Street among other things. I'm using the extreme. They charge commissions. They make money whether you make money or not. But an investment advisor is on your side. Well, let's say they're conceivably on your side because they're going to charge a fee and they make more money if you make more money, right? So if you have a million dollars and they charge 10%, they get 10 grand. If they get you to, if they get it up to 1.5 or 2 million, they make 15 grand or 20 grand a year. So they're uh, supposedly on the same side as you. And there's rules that they actually have to, they can't give you conflicting advice about what they what they do or what you do. So they the whole goal of an investment advisor is that we're kind of in it together. I'm not saying that's always the case, but that's the idea. So they charge a percentage of assets under management. They charge a performance-based fees, maybe. Um, they can charge you like by the hour. So this way, you just, they give you advice, they charge you for the hour, you go away, boom. They can charge you, they can charge commissions in some instances. There's a lot of ways they can charge you and hopefully all of them are not based on they want to make money if you do a transaction. And that's kind of why this came around. If you're not taking a test, get the fuck off. You don't need to be here anymore. You got what you got. If you're taking, if you're taking a test, stay. If you're not on the test, go, babe, get out of here. I don't want you here. 
now we know what an investment advisor is, right? It's a firm, okay? But the question is, where do they register? So let's do a little background. Okay, so the investment advisor is a firm or entity that gives advice as a business for compensation. A lot of people say the old ABC, advice, business, compensation. So they have to do it as a business. Like if I just spout shit out, that doesn't mean I'm an advisor unless you're paying me for that or I'm charging you for it. Now, investment advisors register one of two places, either the SEC or the state, never both. SEC or state, never both. And so let's go with what would normally get you SEC registered. If your assets under management are 110 million or more, boom, you're going to register with the SEC. Pension consultant for more than 200 million, you're not managing. Remember, you're a consultant. You don't have the assets under management. The pension does. If it's 200 million or more, we can go SEC. If you're an advisor to mutual fund, we can go SEC. If you're advising in 15 states or more, we can go SEC. If you are a new advisor and you think you'll get up to the, the over the 100 million, well, I'll explain that in a second, over the 100 million within um, the 120 days, then they also allow you to register with the SEC. Now, that's that's the SEC. Now, the other one where you can choose is if you're between, I can put it in here. Let's type it in, not take too long. So if you're between 100 million and 110 million AUM, you can do either state or SEC. Now, the way they word it is great. It's you're not prohibited from registering with the SEC. So the only one where you have, the only one that's full on have to is if you have 110 million or more or your advisor to mutual funds, you're absolutely going to have to register with the SEC. The other three, uh, the other ones, all the other ones are you're not prohibited from registering with the SEC. So again, SEC is over 110 for sure. Between 100 and 110, it's either state or SEC. And if you're under 100, then you're going to be state only. Okay, state only is that's where you register in the various states. And we're going to get to that, state only. But you remember, never both, okay? Under 100 million. Now, what's interesting is that they give you a, um, I'm, I'm typing this. If you do register federally, please are the AUM, over 100 million. You can actually have a bad year. If you're assets drop down to 90 million you can stay okay so they're not going to go into the whole technical of how many days for this and that but the point is if you go under 100 million technically you should be state but they have a buffer like a minimum maintenance in a way that allows it if you drop to 90 you can still stay and even if you go under 90 but you think you'll be back with a certain amount of time they can stay federal they really once you're federal they want you to stay that way because they don't want you to go back and forth so again you go in federal because your assets are over a number if they drop to down to 90, you can stay. Even if they drop below 90 and you think it'll get back above with a certain amount of days, then you can stay federal. But if you cannot start under 100 million, unless you have another uh, another reason. Assets under management under 100 million, you're absolutely gonna start with the state. And then if you grow, you can go to the Fed. Okay, so when you're gonna become an investment advisor, your firm, you're gonna create a firm, whether it's an LLC or a partnership, corporation, whatever it is, which we have videos on that stuff. But I do not like IDEF. It just shows everything. Ugh. I like it. Back then in the 90s, it was great. You looked better because those cameras sucked. Okay. None of this 4K shit. Okay. Go way back. I'm probably better look now. Okay. So we're going to register an IA, right? So it's either going to be state or federal, but either way, we're going to use form ADV. Form ADV, there's two parts. There's a little mini parts in it, but there's mainly two parts part one and part two. And that confuses a lot of people. So part one is about the facts of the company, okay? It's like the facts of the broker, of the IA. So it has like the, the what we're going to do as a business, how the ownership is, what kind of clients we have, the employees, how many employees, 
business practices, affiliations, and any kind of disciplinary actions that happened in the past. But it's all about the facts about the company. And that's what we need to know, okay? That's Form ADV Part 1. Now, Part 1A is just general. 1B, so we have 1A is just what I just said. 1B is if you're also registering on the state level, they might, each state might have more questions. That's where that goes. So Part 1 is the facts. Part 1A is the general part. 1B would be if you're registering on the state level, There's more, each state may have additional questions for you. ADV Part 2, also known as the, well, could be known as a brochure or the disclosure document, okay? So ADV Part 2 is all about the disclosures, okay? That's about like we're disclosing a lot of conflicts of interest, how we manage the money, stuff like that. So we'll have on stuff like this um, that we have to say certain things that being registered doesn't mean we're good at what we do. We don't have skill or expertise. We're going to describe the firm. Okay. So two, two is all about the disclosures. Okay. Describe the firm, what kind of fees and compensation, what types of clients, how we analyze the investment strategies, stuff like that. And again, disciplinary stuff. We have the code of ethics. Do we have a soft dollar arrangement? I have videos on soft dollar. Maybe I'll try to attach it. Okay. Um, whether we have bankruptcy in the last 10 years and all the financial information, the financial condition, of the company if we think it's going to impair the business, okay? So bottom line, okay, we have to file a fill out a form ADV. Part one is the facts and part two is disclosures. Now, they may use one of three words for this, ADV part two, uh, brochure, or disclosure doc. Now, part 2A is all the disclosures about the firm. Part 2B is called the brochure supplement, and it's all about your, your team or you, if you're working alone, you, or you're working like Park Avenue Securities, all the, it's going to be all about that that department or that the team that you're on. Now, what also is going to be covered in here, which I should get to, is about wrap fees. Now, what are wrap fees? So wrap fees, wrap fees are when you encompass all the fees inside one fee. So instead of me charging you, here's the advice fee, here's a commission, I go, look, just pay me 1% of your assets under a wrap fee which I have to give you a disclosure doc for it. I have to disclose it on the brochure and it's going to cover all your costs. Now, this is better for someone who, who is active, okay? So if someone just buys their shit and holds it for 20 years, that's not a good idea. I mean, rap fee, you're kind of wasting money, right? Because you're spending money when you wouldn't. You're better off doing some other sort of arrangement. So wrap fees and management fees, like non-managed fee-based accounts, are much more for um, people more active. Also, we'll have whether we have custody. Now, custody, I've done videos on. Custody is when you have control of the client's assets, whether they're holding their money, whether they have full discretion, where you accept fees way in ahead of advance. I'll do a whole video on that. But if you have custody, you have to disclose that. And usually you will have to have an audited balance sheet alongside the, the part two of the part 2A. Okay. Then there's part 2B is for the team. So again, 2A is for the firm. To be is for the team. I'm rambling, so I'm going to go all over the place. I'll try to stay somewhat in order. Part two is a brochure. Now, what is the rule here? So the rule is that if you, the rule is, is that if you are going to sign a contract with them, they have to get this disclosure doc brochure, part two, at or prior to signing the contract. That's the rule. They must get the brochure at or prior to signing the contract. Now, again, they go, wait, what about the 48-hour rule? So here's the deal. The states go, that's fine. The states go, sure. Deliver it at or prior. But if you don't give it to them 48 hours before they sign the contract, they get five days to back out without penalties. Now, if you give them advice, you can charge for the advice, but you can't penalize them like termination fees and stuff like that. So again, brochure delivered at or prior to signing the contract. You should have some sort of proof that it's been signed, that it's been received. 
if you give it to them at or prior to signing the contract and then you're a federal covenant advisor, which means SEC registered, no problem. We don't care. We're good to go. If if the state advisor, the, the state may go, okay, if you didn't give it to them 48 hours before they signed the contract, then they actually get five days to back out of it without any penalties. Let's do a little recap of the form ADV. ADV part 1A is, is, for, is for the facts about the firm, okay? Every advisor has to be filled that out and submitted to the IIRD. It's about the business and practices, the ownership control, and who and all the people that do the advice. 1B is for if you're an advisor going with the states. Again, 1A is all advisors. 1B is for uh, if you're going to be in the states. Part two is the disclosure act, still filed, but this is going to be disclosed, going to be given to the customers at some point. 2A, all advisors, it's about the advisor. Part 2B, or not 2B, is for the team or the individuals. So again, part 2A is for the firm, the disclosures. Part 2B is the disclosures for the team or the individual. Now, the RAP fee is, under, is called the appendix, okay? So if you have two, part 2A, the appendix is all about whether we have RAP fees or not. Now, if you have custody, if you have to get an audited financial, I'll leave it at that. If you have to get an audited financial, that's what the, the auditor will fill out form ADVE. E for, I don't know, E for everything. I have no idea why they do E, but it is E for the auditor, okay? If you go into a state, you do form ADV. If you leave a state or just shut down, it's an ADVW. Now, this partial in full. A full ADVW, withdrawing, you're leaving, you're done, you're out of business. A partial ADVW is like you're leaving the state or you're just changing something around, okay? So you're just reducing your role. So ADVW is withdrawing. If it's a full, you're just leaving the business. ADVW par a partial is like, oh, I'm just pulling out of the state or out of Chicago. I mean, out of Illinois or Idaho or something like that, but I'm still an advisor. Okay, so every at the end of the year, every year, you have to do what they call an annual updating amendment, okay? An annual updating amendment has to be distributed to the regulator within 90 days, okay? Now, that's 90 days, and then you have to distribute that to the customers within 120. That could be tested, absolutely. So anytime we do an update, an, an annual updating amendment has to be done within 90 days of the end of the fiscal year. Fiscal year just means the year we end. Um, we can make it whatever we want. And then it has to be distributed to the client within 120 days of the end. Not 120 days of when I, of when I submitted, 120 from the end of the year. Any, if anything becomes inaccurate, if any material information on the Form ADV becomes inaccurate, we have to update promptly, which means within 30 days. So if a material has to be updated promptly, but other things that are immaterial, I don't know what that would be, would be at the end of the year within 90, remember, 90 days to the regulator, 120 to the customer. So let's talk about, let's talk about state advisors. So state advisors are the ones that are not eligible to register with SEC. So they register in any state they do business in, right? What does that mean? So any state they either have an office, place of business, or more than five clients, okay? So anytime they have a place of business in a state or, 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 sounds like a seal, um, more than five retail clients in a state, they have to register either one of those, okay? They would have to register in that state. Now, the contracts on the state level, advisory, because remember, when you sign with an advisor, you usually sign a contract to say, we're going to provide these services for the next year. You can renew it. And these are the fees, blah, 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 blah. And there's going to be stuff in there. If you terminate, what do we charge? If you if we do other things, that we're also going to say in there that if we change ownership, we're going to let you know. If we change a majority of the ownership, we're going to get permission from you. All that stuff is going to be in the contract. If it's state, okay, 
If it's a state advisor, it must be in writing. And it's interesting. SEC could be oral. I don't know that anyone does that, but it could be a verbal contract. That So state is always in writing. Federal might be oral. We'll get there. You could have discretionary authority. Now, here's the thing about discretion. Discretion is, you should know this by now, is discretion is, and you can actually make trade. You can do any sort of trade on the account that's suitable and possibly move money around. Limited discretion means you can do any suitable. You can enter orders to buy and sell without getting permission ahead of time because the customer gave you discretion. That's limited. Full discretion, which would be custody, full discretion means you can do any suitable trade and you can move money around, pay bills, shit like that. So if you have limited discretion or full discretion, you might have to put up a surety bond. A surety bond is either you have enough net cap to cover any legal costs, or you have to put up the money or securities so that the administrator knows that you have enough money to cover legal problems. That would, if you have custody, that surety bond is only for people who have custody, firms that, firms that have custody. Broker dealers, we know that if you want power of attorney or discretion, has to be in writing ahead of time, right? We know that. Where investment advisors are allowed to get oral discretion up to 10 days. So I can call you up and say, hey, do me a favor, watch my account for the next two weeks. I give you discretion. You can do that. Two weeks wouldn't work. 10 days, okay? After the 10th day, if you don't have it in writing, then it ends. You don't go back and get in trouble. It's just, I have to give it to you. I always thought, what happens if they don't get it? I find out that if I give you oral discretion for 10 days, and then you, and then at the end of 10 days, I don't come up with anything to um, within writing, then I'm going to have to um, get it in writing. And then if I don't, I just stop. I don't have discretion anymore. Okay, since I brought up custody, I might as well finish with it, right? Okay, so custody is having like ownership or access to the client's funds, full discretion. If you get funds, here's the thing. So let's talk about what would cause a custody declaration. One, your name is a trustee in the account. Two, you have full discretion. Three, you send statements to the client versus the broker dealer, okay? Four, you accept prepaid fees of $500 or more six months in advance. That's a state rule. And then the federal will be $1,200. So think about it. If you accept prepaid fees of $500 or $1,200 federal six months before giving advice, that would be custody. Not for the next six months, six months in ed. So it's December now. I'd be paying now for the June advice. Okay. It's just, there are firms that do it. It's weird. Um, if you receive a check for a third-party check and don't forward it or return it within three days, okay? 72 hours. That's considered custody. You have you have control of it. Those all would be considered having custody, which means you have to send it, you'd have to update your, your form B, your form ADVW, ADV, God. So those would all be considered having custody, which means you have to notify the administrator. You have to then send a quarterly statement to your clients. Now, now that you have custody, you have to get an annual audit by an outside auditor. You will have to put up the surety bond, among other things. And you got to let everyone know. You also have to have a qualified custodian, like a bank, to um to hold the money. Okay? Not you, to hold the money. Okay, so if you have full discretion or custody, your minimum financial net worth as an IA has to be at least 35 grand. If it's not, you have to put up a surety bond. If you have limited discretion, you only have to have 10 grand. If you just have... Nah, I'm going to leave it with that. Okay, so if you have custody... 35 grand minimum or put up a surety bond. If you have limited discretion, $10,000 net worth or a $10,000 surety bond. Now remember, IAs, investment advisors have net worth, broker dealers have net cap. Okay, so you have record keeping rules, right? So record keeping rules are that the state, if you're a state, remember we're talking about state advisors, they have to follow 
what the state requires. Okay, now here's the interesting part. So if you're in multiple states, you have to figure out whose rules you have to follow. They may they they may say four years, they may say five. Pretty much IAs are five years. Remember that. But if one state has different requirements than the other, you only have to follow your home office, your primary place of business, that the principal place of business. You follow that state's rules and all the other, even if they're less than the other ones, that, then you're good to go. So you only have to follow the record-keeping and financial requirements of the state where your principal place of business is, then you're fine in the other states. Because how could you keep track of all that shit if it changes? There are, remember, an advisor is a, is a firm that gives advice as a business for compensation. So the problem is sometimes people give advice that's inadvertent or part of their business. So like what's not an advisor, Okay. An IAR is not an advisor. The IAR is the individual working for the advisor. They couldn't be one. Banks, um, banks, issuers are not advisors, okay? They also have, they say late, I say plate, okay? So remember, publishers, lawyers, accountants, teachers, engineers, plate. Publishers, lawyers, accountants, teachers, engineers, those are all excluded from the definition as long as they're not holding themselves out as, which means advertising that they're an advisor or charging a separate fee for the advice. Look, so lawyers give advice all the time. Accountants give advice. Like they yell at me, you need deductions or buy muni bonds or something. That's I'm not paying them for that advice. I'm paying them to be an accountant. So that's why they allow this. They say, look, they're not an advisor. The lawyer, now, now look, unless the lawyer or the accountant or the teacher is doing it as a side business or advertising, then they're holding themselves out as, then they would be considered an advisor. They no longer get that exclusion. The tricky one is that the account normally charges 400 an hour, but they only charge 50 an hour for the advice. Well, they're charging for the advice. They would have to be an advisor. Okay. Broker dealers and agents are not advisors. Okay. Now, unless they start charging. So broker dealers and agents are excluded from the definition, especially an agent because it's an individual. But a broker dealer is excluded unless they start charging for advice. So broker dealers give advice all day long. They absolutely do. But the problem is, if they don't charge for it, they only get paid for transactions. But if they start charging for the advice, then they would have to register as an IA. Remember that. So they may ask a question like, oh, the broker dealer, uh, an agent or broker dealer, agent of a broker dealer or broker dealer wants to start doing financial planning and charging for it. Well, they can't under the broker dealer arm. So they would have to create an IA or get or work for one, then register as an IAR. Then they can start giving them financial planning advice, not before that. No, IARs is pretty fun. So now, IAs, remember, no office, five or less retail client, they don't have to register, vacations, okay, stuff like that. Now, IARs work for IAs. They sort of have the same rules. But remember, investment advisors, the firm, register the SEC or state, never both. IARs only register at the state level. They can't do it on their own, even though you can take the 65 and 63 and 66 on your own. It's not active until it's registered under either a broker dealer or an IA. Okay. So now, IARs register on the state level only. Anywhere they have a place of business or more than five retail clients. That's the rule if you're working for a state advisor. Let's, let's do it this way. Okay, so remember, the IAR is the individual that's you or me that's taking the test, right? That's Remember, that's think of that as you. It's you doing this. If you're in an IAR of a state-covered advisor, state-registered advisor, it's either you have a place of business or more than five retail clients. Either one of those would trigger you having to register. But if you work for a federal-covered advisor, which is registered with the SEC, then it's only if you have a place of business. You can have a million fucking clients on IDO. If you don't have a place of business there, you don't have to register. So again, 
IAR for a state-covered advisor, it's place of business or more than five retail clients. IAR for a federal-covered advisor is place of business only. The number of clients does not matter. Let's give you a little bit of a hypothetical. I'll call it Katz Investment Advisor. Katz, right? Katz Investment Advisor, I have no office in Idaho. Okay? Sally, who works for me, has three clients. She doesn't have to register. She has no office, doesn't have to register. John has four clients in the state with no office, doesn't have to register. So Sally has three, John has four. They both work for me. So they don't have to register, but because there's seven, my firm does. Okay? Because the firm has more than five clients. John and Mary don't either, so they don't have to register, but my firm does have to register in the state. So let's bang out a little recap. First, an estate investment advisor is a firm that, that basically engages in the business of giving advice as a business for compensation. Okay, we can get paid, percentage of assets, fulcrum fee, which is performance-based fee, which I did not talk about. So now let's talk about it now. A performance-based fee is when the investment advisor takes a percentage of your, of your growth, right? So the performance-based fee is that the fee will be a percentage of what you grow. So the fee will go up the more you make. So we'll have a normal you know, half a percent of your assets. And then we'll say, listen, anything that you earn, that we earn for you over the S&P 500, what their benchmark is, then we're going to charge you, you know, 5, 10, 15% of it. We're going to get a piece of that. That's called the fulcrum fee, okay? A fulcrum fee goes with performance-based fee. We basically, the more we beat the index bar, the more we charge you, the less we, the less we do it, the less we charge you. Now, what's interesting is that performance-based fees are only for qualified clients. So what the hell is a qualified client? A qualified client is a client that has at least 1.1 million invested with you or 2.2 net worth. I'm gonna have to flip this in the beginning. So, so let's say, let's all the ways we can get paid. We can get paid percentage of assets under management. We can get commissions. We can get an hourly fee. We can get soft dollars, okay? We can get hard dollars, a lot of different ways, okay? Now, the other thing we can get, if they're a certain type of client, normally the answer is no. Normally the answer is no performance-based fee, but in this case, you can. If this person is a qualified client, which means they have 1.1 invested with your firm or 2.2 net worth, you can charge a performance-based fee, where not only you're charging the regular fee, you're charging them for you doing well. The, 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 more, the better you do versus an S&P 500 index or benchmark, you can charge more. They may, if you see the word fulcrum fee, that's what they're talking about. So now let's do a recap. State investment advisors are firms that register with the state only for whatever reason. They're doing, they're giving advice as a business for compensation in the state only. They can get percentage of assets under management, fulcrum fee, which is also with a performance fee, commissions, hourly, monthly per project, hourly, hard dollars, soft dollars, stuff like that. Exclusions, IARs are not an IA. Banks, issuers, late, publishers, lawyers, accountants, teachers, engineer, broker deals and agents are not. Federal covered advisors are not state advisors, stuff like that. Exemptions or registration. If you have no place of business and five or retail clients, you don't have to register. Um, when you register, you file form ADV and you file a consent to serve as a process, which I should have talked about before. I think I've done it in other videos, consent to serve as a process is you're allowing the administrator to take uh, papers on your behalf, like if you get sued, okay? Um, you have to pay the fee and you have to meet the financial requirement, the net worth of the state if they do it. And you remember, you only have to meet that is if, um, if the state requires it and your principal business, okay? 
Um, you have to make sure you segregate cash and securities from the firm's assets. That's a new one. Okay. Custody is it means you have control of the assets. We talked about that. Discretion means you can you can do trades without telling the customer ahead of time. You're allowed to do oral discretion for the 10 days, up to 10 days, 10 business days. And then after that, you have to get it in writing. Record keeping, almost everything's five years. Um, the state can require two years readily accessible, which means in the in the office. And the state can have different requirements for state advisors for their record keeping. Let's talk about federal covered advisors. Federal covered advisors are covered under the Act of 40. They're considered FCA federal covered advisors. They're giving advice as a part of business for compensation. ABC, again, advice as a business for compensation. So federal covered advisors, that's what I talked about before. They, re they have more than 110 million. They have to register with the SEC. They're advisors to mutual funds or investment companies. They're SEC. If they're, in, if they're giving advisory service in 15 or more states, they can register with the SEC. Um, if they're a pension consultant where the pension is more than 200 million, they can register with the SEC. If they're an affiliate of a federally covered advisor, they can register with the SEC. And if it's a new advisor who thinks they will get over the threshold of the SEC numbers within 120 days, we're allowed to register with the SEC. And really, they give you fucking extensions all the time. Okay. Again, we use the same thing for ADP Part 1 but not 1B, we do Form ADV Part 1, we do ADV Part 2, which again is all about disclosures. Remember, you're registering with the SEC, not in the states. Again, SEC only, not states. Now, they added a couple of things. SEC released 1092, because for a while it was like, these sports managers and talent guys were taking the money and ripping people off. So now they changed the rule that basically has, it goes like this. So as an, to be an advisor, you have to give advice on, so I say the A for advice, but it's advice on securities, investment advice on securities. If you give advice on futures or commodities or real estate, we don't care. It's literally on securities. Business, we hold yourself out as an advisor. We do it. We get compensation based on the advice and we give reports and analysis and stuff like that on the securities as a business we are doing to get paid. Now, there could be other ways to get paid. I mean, you can get soft dollars, you can get paid in other things, but either way, if we get compensated in any way for the advice, we are considered an investment advisor. If we do it, if we give advice on securities as a business or compensation of any type, then that would be considered, you can be considered an advisor. They added in, since this is what people are getting ripped off, financial planners, pension consultants, and sports and entertainment reps. Those people have to register as IARs or IAs. Now, if you're just a sports and entertainment rep and all you're doing is signing contracts, that doesn't sound it, right? But if you're starting to manage your money and stuff and investing in form, then you fall under the definition of an investment advisor and you have to follow the rules. What's not an investment advisor? It sounds the same. Banks and bank holding companies. Now, what's interesting Pretty sure on the state level, bank holding company doesn't count. But the question is, what's a bank holding company? It is literally a firm that owns a bank, okay? And so like J.P. Morgan is the bigger firm. They own Chase Bank. J.P. Morgan is really financial services, but let's go for this one. It's a bank holding company. So J.P. Morgan and company, the one on the exchange, owns a bank, Chase Bank. That's a bank holding company. Chase isn't, but J.P. Morgan is. So if J.P. Morgan wasn't trading on an exchange, it would not be exempt. So, but Chase Bank is, because it's a bank for everything. Really, a bank does everything. Okay, now, if you give incidental, remember plate, publishers, lawyers, accountants, teachers, engineers are exempt. Sounds the same. Broker deals and agents are not, okay? If you're giving advice on just governments, 
government securities, you will, you will be exempt. You will not have to register with the SEC. Try this again. So the foreign private advisor, there's a lot of pieces of this, but the main ones are they have no place if they're a foreign country advisor, they have no place of business in the U.S., and they give advice to 15 or fewer clients in the States. And they don't hold themselves out generally to the public. That's always a big one. Okay. Exempt reporting advisors. Okay. These are reporting advisors. These are advisors because they either, they, they have a private fund advisor, which they're not going to ask you, like hedge funds. They're giving advice to hedge funds kind of thing. As long as it's under $150 million, they just have to report their financials. They don't have to register. If they go over $150 million, then they have to register with the SEC. If it's a venture capitalist advisor, you're giving advice to venture capitalists only, that would be an exemption also. You don't, but there's no number on that. So private fund, exempt reporting advisors, you give advice to private fund advisors and up to 150 million, then you don't, you don't have to register. Over 150, you do. If it's a venture capitalist advisor, there's no limit to how much you will never have to register with the SEC. Now, remember something. If, if you're registered with the state or the SEC, so if you're registered with the SEC, the state doesn't have jurisdiction. And if you're registered with the state, this SEC doesn't have jurisdiction other than for fraud. Anti-fraud is the only one. So let's talk about the contracts now. So the investment advisory contracts pretty much have to be in writing, but federals don't. So the federal law doesn't require it in writing, but I don't know anyone that would. So a lot of the things in the contracts, they're saying like it's going to list what you expect from the advisor, what they can and can't do. You can never waive compliance with federal law. So you can't say, oh, you, you can't use a hedge clause where it says I can't get in trouble. Assignment, that's like if a, if a advisor changes ownership. So if one, here's the thing. So say you have five partners. If two of them leave, you just have to let everyone know as per the contract. If more than two, if more than three leave, which is anything more than 50%, then you have to get permission because that's technically a new firm and you can't assign someone, you can't assign a client to a new firm without permission. So you can't like, like when Merrill Lynch kicked all their people out of the regular and put them into Merrill Edge, Merrill Edge, they had to get permission from everyone to do that. You can't just put someone at a new firm without telling them. So you can't assign someone to a new firm without their permission. You can assign them to an IAR. You just got to let them know. But the new firm, no, you have to. That's called assignment. So you cannot assign someone to a new firm without permission. And, that's, and remember, a majority of the partners leaving or changing ownership of more than 50% will be considered assignments. So you need permission. We talked about it before. Performance-based fees you can do for only certain types of clients. They have to be qualified clients which means it's 1.1 million assets invested with you or 2.2 net 2 million net worth but i want you to start with performance-based fees are prohibited first then if it meets certain parameters that the qualified clients then you can do it so record keep requirements the, the books are going with this long ass fucking list of requirements just know that IAs have to keep everything for five years. Anything to do with forming the company, like partnership partnership agreements or uh, corporate charters or board minutes, stuff like that has to be lifetime, but everything else is going to be five years. That's easier to remember. Just Okay, so bunched, aggregated and bunched orders. You have to just make sure the clients know that everything will be allocated fairly because what used to happen was we'd bunch the orders and then give all the best clients, the better prices, and the worst clients, the worst prices. So now we kind of just average it out and give everyone the same sort of price. But we have to make sure we notify the customers of our policies and that we're going to, these bunched and aggregated orders 
will be allocated fairly. So what? why do I do bunch orders? So if I have a bunch of clients, you know, doing five shares here, 20 shares there, 100 shares there, 800 shares there, I may have to pay extra fees. But if I bunch them together, so if I bunch them together, I can maybe out send them to a broker dealer and get a better, get a discount or even get a better price. So there are definitely reasons why you do bunched and aggregated orders to get better prices, better execution. Okay, so solicitors. Now, what's interesting, the Advisors Act allows us, them to use solicitors, people to find clients for them. Solicitors do not meet the definition of reg of giving security, personal securities advice. So they don't register in the SEC level. They will normally register on the state level. But a solicitor is someone who finds a client for investment advisors. They have to make sure that, remember, they have to be registered at the state level. There has to be a written agreement between the solicitor and the investment advisor. They can even pay them cash as long as there's a written agreement. So when we have a solicitor, we have to use a couple of things. There has to be an agreement specifically listing what the solicitor is going to do and the compensation. When a solicitor goes to find a to get a client, they have to give their brochure because they're an advisor and the firm's brochure, and they have to get a signed disclosure that they got the receipt of both brochures. So that's what solicitors have to get a signed receipt of both brochures. So I have another video on the advertising rules. I'll link it here. That's about the advertising for that. Now, remember a couple of things. As a federal covered advisor, federal covered advisors can use testimonials and endorsements. State advisors cannot. I'll link the video here. But remember, advertising is anything sent to more than one person. Okay, anything sent to more than one person. Now, as an advisor or a rep, can you use RIA or IAR? No, those are not, whatever you want to call them, initials that you're allowed to use, okay? You're not allowed to use an uh, IA or IAR or RIA as a acronym for your shit, okay? Now, so let's hit it. Let's do the review. Okay, what's a federal covered advisor? It's a firm that gives advice on as a business on compensation, so what's an advisor, investment advisor? And this one is a federal covered investment advisor. It's a firm that gives advice as a business for compensation, and they have to register the SEC. Why would they register the SEC? They have over 110 million under management, or even 100 they could, if they are managing a mutual fund, among other things. The main two are over 110 million and, manage, and giving advice to a mutual fund. Those would automatically require SEC. If you're in 15 states or more, or your pension consultant for 200 million or more pension. I've done this, so I'm ripping through it very quickly. Um, they are they would have to, they can register with the SEC. How can we get paid? Same as a state advisor. Hourly fee, fee plus commissions, percentage of assets or management, performance-based fees. What's not NIA? Banks, bank holding companies, issuers, plate, publishers, lawyers, accountants, teachers, engineers, uh, broker dealers and register reps, stuff like that. The local exception, that's where if all your clients are in one state and you're not giving advice on, on exchange-listed securities, the SEC will not make you register. If you're giving if all your clients are insurance companies, you don't have to register. Private fund advisors, venture capitalist advisors, foreign private advisors, uh, foreign private advisors do not have to register. When you register, you form you do a form ADV part one and two through the IARD. Uh two has two A and B, right? A is for the two A is for the firm, two B is for the team. Um, consent to service process always, and you have to meet the SEC's requirements, not the state's. Remember, if you're registered with the SEC, the states can't have jurisdiction over your shit, other than anti-fraud. Okay. 
Customer cash and securities have to be segregated. That's pretty much the whole what's going on. Discretion. You can have oral discretion for up to 10 days, just like a state advisor. After 10 days, it has to be in writing. Record keeping is usually five years, two years in an office, close by. Anything to do with lifetime is like articles of incorporation, partnership agreements, um, minutes from the board meeting, stuff like that. So that's a good recap of the investment advisor and the investment advisor rep. I still say you got to read the book. Don't just base it on this. There's a lot of stuff you can get out of the books, whether it's Kaplan, STC, or my favorite, Achievable. Listen, thank you very much. Check me out every Tuesday and Thursday night, live from Chatham on Tuesday and Thursday nights, 8.30 p.m. Go wash your hands. Be good.